0: What's up, guys? Welcome to Relatable Happy Tuesday. My name is Allie Stuckey, your host. Uh, This is a podcast by CRTV. You should definitely go to CRTV.com slash Allie and subscribe if you want to watch this. If you're listening and uh, I sound even more nasally than usual, it's because I'm just a little bit under the weather. I've been traveling uh, nonstop for the past week and a half. And I think my body is just kind of like shutting down. Nevertheless, I am here and we have a lot to talk about. Um, I don't think that I've ever talked about one subject for so long on this podcast. Um, and I'm referring to Kavanaugh because that's what we're going to talk about again today, because usually, you know, the, the news cycle happens so quickly. We have something new to talk about every time, or we try to talk about something theological, cultural, whatever it is. But, There's just so much more to say every single day about Kavanaugh. And the reason why I keep talking about it is because I believe that this is the most politically significant moment in our lives, especially as millennials. Uh, We have gone through a lot when we were little. It was the Bush Gore election that went on forever. Obviously, 9-11 has happened in our lifetimes. First black president was elected in our lifetimes a lot of big things have happened but there's something about this that just it seems like the entire country is collectively holding their breath um for those of us who were not alive during the Anita Hill and Clarence uh, Thomas controversy in 1991 I I was born a year after that. So obviously wasn't around for it. Um, I, I think that this is, this is just, uh, almost a stunning mirror image, a little bit of, of what was happening then. Uh, the difference is we have a Republican Senate, so it should be easy as pie to confirm Kavanaugh. Then they had a Democrat Senate and they still confirmed Thomas. Um, that doesn't seem to be what's going to happen here. I don't know if Kavanaugh is going to get confirmed or not. What I do know is that polling for public opinion is getting worse and worse for his confirmation. Not that that matters that much, um, but it kind of does because, you know, people that are adamantly against Kavanaugh's confirmation are going to protest. They're going to call their senator. Senators are going to feel pressure. They might be apt to vote against him. Um But that's that's the sad reality is that we have Democrats that control the narrative because they have their cronies in the liberal media. The liberal media dominate the news cycle. They dominate social media and they form this public opinion. They form this story about Kavanaugh that, quite frankly, is not based on fact. Um, So I know that the testimonies of Kavanaugh and uh, Dr. Ford happened last week, but when we talked last week, they hadn't happened yet. So we haven't even covered them. Um, They were stunning testimonies. I was flying and I had terrible Wi-Fi, um, so I couldn't watch the whole thing. I got to watch her testimony when I was in the airport. So I got that. I was wearing actually my confirmed Kavanaugh pen in the airport. I got some really interesting looks and then i got some people that came up to me and said i like your pen but i thought that's really sad that they feel like they have to they have to whisper about that but anyway so i watched her testimony and i thought wow this is this is a sad woman this is a pitiful woman this is a a small seeming woman and i don't mean pitiful in a derogatory way i really don't it's Um, And I when I say pathetic, I also don't mean it in a derogatory way. I mean, like literally like evoking sympathy. Um, I just felt like she was very fragile, both mentally and emotionally. Um, And yes, uh, it is intimidating to talk in, in front of the Senate, of course. But there was something a little bit more frazzled. Uh, About her that just really struck me But it did evoke sympathy from me Um, It wasn't until she started being Questioned by the outside counsel Rachel Mitchell who Has 25 years experience in Prosecuting uh, sex crimes um, That I started To realize that Ford's Story is falling apart so I listened to her testimony And I said oh, this is going to be very difficult to this is going to be very difficult to refute. I mean, this is passionate. This is emotional. I I could definitely see how people who have been sexually assaulted would watch this and think, uh, you know, that's me. I can relate to this woman. And then she started being questioned. And I said, wait, this woman, this woman doesn't know her story. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She she can't remember basic facts from just even three months ago she can't remember how she got to the party how she left the party we'll get into all of that in just a minute um but she can only remember the facts that implicate Kavanaugh that's weird so that's when it started falling apart for me I think honestly most of the country had stopped watching by then they just watched her testimony and said oh yeah you know I believe her um but still even after her testimony started falling apart um I thought this is going to be difficult. And then Kavanaugh came along. And Kavanaugh's testimony was maybe, uh, at least in my lifetime, that I can recall the most compelling piece of rhetoric that I have ever watched. And like I said, I had really bad Wi Fi when I was watching it, it was on the plane. And I was refreshing, like every five seconds, the people next to me, like they didn't care at all. They were probably wondering what the heck I was doing because I was so frustrated, but I was crying in the plane. I mean, I've never been so drawn in to a speech in my life. And if there was any, any kind of speech that could have refuted Ford's testimony, it was the one Kavanaugh gave. He fought for his life. He fought for his reputation, his name, his honor, his family. I mean, That it was like I I left at that was if I had any doubt in my mind, which I I really didn't. You know, I still thought that this is a whole smear campaign and I'll tell you why soon. But if there was even a scintilla of doubt in my mind, Kavanaugh's testimony completely eradicated it. He is not he he can't be that good of an actor. He just can't. He just can't. That would make him a sociopath. And I just don't think a sociopath is able to withstand six FBI background checks and 30 years working in the swamp on and also serving on the second highest court in the land, the D.C. Circuit Court. I just don't think that's possible. So anyway, needless to say, I was extremely affected by his testimony. It like, I I don't want to be dramatic, but it totally shattered me. Okay. I'm going to stop talking for a second. And I'm going to let you listen to a little bit of Ford's testimony. What I thought was the most emotional and compelling part. And then uh, a little bit of, of Kavanaugh's testimony.
1: I went up a very narrow set of stairs leading from the living room to a second floor to use the restroom. When I got to the top of the stairs, I was pushed from behind into a bedroom across from the bathroom. I couldn't see who pushed me. Brett and Mark came into the bedroom and locked the door behind them. There was music playing in the bedroom. It was turned up louder by either Brett or Mark once we were in the room. I was pushed onto the bed and Brett got on top of me. He began running his hands over my body and grinding into me. I yelled hoping that someone downstairs might hear me and I tried to get away from him but his weight was heavy Brett groped me and tried to take off my clothes he had a hard time because he was very inebriated and because I was wearing a one-piece bathing suit underneath my clothing I believed he was going to rape me I tried to yell for help When I did, Brett put his hand over my mouth to stop me from yelling. This is what terrified me the most and has had the most lasting impact on my life. It was hard for me to breathe and I thought that Brett was accidentally going to kill me.
0: Okay, Uh, that was Ford. And here is just a snippet of Kavanaugh's testimony.
2: I'm not questioning that Dr. Ford may have been sexually assaulted by some person in some place at some time. But I have never done this to her or to anyone. That's not who I am, it is not who I was. I am innocent of this charge. I intend no ill will to Dr. Ford and her family. The other night Ashley and my daughter Liza said their prayers. And little Liza, all of 10 years old, said to Ashley, "We should pray for the woman." It's a lot of wisdom from a 10-year-old. We mean we mean no ill will.
0: Okay, so as you can tell, if you, were, if you were just listening to that, say you didn't know what was going on, uh, you have no partisan opinion, you were just listening to those, you might walk away thinking, shoot, I have no idea what to think. This is really difficult. They both sound so convinced of the truth, of their versions of truth, and they completely contradict each other. I mean, she said 100% she knows that Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her. Kavanaugh said that he swears to God that he has never sexually assaulted anyone. So you look at those two things and you say, how the heck am I or is anyone else going to be able to come up with the truth? And that would be fine to sit in that place if that if their testimonies were all that we had, but their testimonies are not all that we had. Um, There is only one side with any corroboration to their story. Only one side with any substantiation, only one with 65 plus male and female character witnesses who say that they would never do something like this. Um, There is only one side um, that is verified by the alleged witnesses that Ford says uh, were there at this alleged incident, and that is Kavanaugh. He is the only one with any facts on his side whatsoever. She doesn't have A sure story. And like I said, there are multiple discrepancies in this story. Um, she does not have 65 plus character witnesses. She has not cleared six FBI background checks. She did not uh, keep amazingly close, uh, amazingly pay amazingly close attention to her calendars growing up and keep her calendars from 1982 the way that Kavanaugh did. I mean, he has calendars literally refuting her testimony and saying, no, I wasn't there the weekend that she alleges. And that's another problem is that she has changed the weekend that this happened multiple times. She's Changed uh, when it happened in the eighties. She said mid eighties, late eighties, early eighties. She uh, said at one point that this happened in her late teens. Then she said it happened when she was fifteen. Uh, we don't actually know. One of the things that I found most disturbing was that she could not remember. You know, all of this came out originally. Um, well, we knew her name from a Washington Post piece. And this came out in that Washington Post piece after Diane Feinstein had released the anonymous vague letter. I won't get into the timeline. We've already talked about it. Christine Blasey Ford named herself to the Washington Post. She said what happened. And in it, in the story of the Washington Post, it said she told her therapist this in 2012 um, about this sexual assault incident. Well, now in this hearing with uh, Rachel Miller or Rachel Mitchell, uh, Christine Ford could not remember if she gave her therapist notes to The Washington Post or if she just uh, summarized them for The Washington Post. Okay, that that's a big deal. One, it troubles me that you can't remember something that you would have done just a few months ago. So either she wasn't the one who gave the therapist notes, which is troubling. That just confirms this theory that she's really just a pawn by the Democrats. Um, or she just has really bad memory, which again, why would we trust her or three? She's lying. And this didn't actually happen. She doesn't even have any therapist notes. Um, So those are just a few of the things. And in speaking of discrepancies, uh, Rachel Mitchell, who I said is the outside counsel, she was hired by the GOP um, to come before the Senate Judiciary and actually question uh, Ford. And she did. And a lot of people criticize Mitchell saying that she didn't do a good job. I actually think that she did. I I think that she did a decent job. Um, It was just a horrible format. She had to stop every five minutes and let the Senate ask a question. And every time a Senate Democrat came on, it was just grandstanding. And we never really got to the truth. But she did point out some discrepancies. And she just released a memo on Sunday night, I believe it was, uh, listing all of the discrepancies in Ford's story. Um, I don't want to go through all of it. Um, because it's a lot, I encourage you to go read it. I think that it was released again by the Washington post, but it's on Twitter. I retweeted it. Uh, she lists all of the inconsistencies, uh, that she doesn't have a good memory of what happened 35 years ago. Doesn't have a good memory of what happened in the last few months. Uh, like the notes that I just told you from her therapist. Um, she also lied, apparently, about flying because originally they had delayed this hearing because they said that Christine Blasey Ford was uh scared of flying. But then uh, Rachel Mitchell pointed out, well, actually, you've flown multiple times in the past year. You actually fly a lot. So are you really scared of flying. So that tells us that her lawyers are lying for her again, forming this narrative. Uh, Blasey Ford also did not know that uh, Senate Republicans had offered to come out to California and hear her story. Um, She said that she wasn't clear on that, that she didn't know that Republicans offered that. So again, what are her attorneys telling her and what are her attorneys telling other people to shape a narrative that is just not true? I believe this is what I believe that Dr. Ford, from what I can tell from her, uh, Dr. Ford apparently believes that this happened. Um, she has a memory of assault. I actually think she comes across as someone who has been assaulted in probably violated multiple times she i don't know that at all this is totally speculative she comes across as someone who has been abused i think that she has made this memory in her mind and that the democrats are using her as a pawn i actually think from the way that the democrats reacted to uh kavanaugh's very visceral reaction um i think that they know that he is innocent i mean you should have seen diane feinstein when he really pushed back on her uh That She just kind of sat back and she stopped talking. She ceded her time. Uh, I think that they know that this is an innocent man. And I think that they are okay with ruining his life for political power. And they're forming this narrative and they're shaping this narrative that he cannot be trusted, that um, he... Is they're even going so far to say that he's a serial rapist, which is even beyond the credible allegations that we have. I mean, it's absolutely insane, and they do not care about ruining a man's life. And I know that there are many women who are survivors of sexual assault who are incensed; they are uh, galvanized by all of this, and you know they're protesting and all of this stuff. But I think the media underestimates just like they underestimated people that voted for Trump. I think they underestimate how worked up people like me, other conservatives and other young conservatives are about this. I Yes, there are a lot of people that I know. They looked at Dr. Ford and they said, you know, that's me. I I went through sexual assault. This reminds me of my sexual assault journey and she's really brave, but I've gotten so many messages, dozens and dozens of messages from women, some of them victims, some of them not saying that it wasn't Ford's testimony that brought them to tears. It was Kavanaugh's testimony. And the reason is because in Kavanaugh, we see every good man that we know, we see our friends, we see our husbands, we see our sons, we see our brothers, we see our dads, and we cannot stomach the idea of living in a world in which the only two words that are necessary to ruin a man's life is she said. I mean, not only is that unjust, but it's also illogical. It's completely irrational. And I'm going to say something that I know was controversial. I'm not going to put it on Twitter because everything on Twitter is taken out of context. So, If you are a sexual assault survivor, first of all, I'm sorry that that happened to you. There's nothing that makes me more mad than sexual assault, by the way, like I feel like people who rape and sexually assault people should have those things done to them as well. Like, I want them to be punished to the fullest extent of the law, and I want their lives to be ruined. If you sexually assaulted someone, like, your life deserves to be ruined, okay? So know that I hear you, I see you, and I am sorry that that happened to you. It was criminal, it never should have happened, but your collective, your, your story of sexual assault does not make Dr. Ford's story any more credible. That's the mistake that I'm seeing people make that this is about victims in general. This is about uh, championing uh, champion championing the woman in general. Well, no, it's not. When you make it about that, that's when the truth becomes irrelevant. That's when facts become irrelevant. That's when justice becomes irrelevant. When corroboration and substantiation becomes irrelevant. All that matters is your, uh, is your feelings and your own experiences and, uh, the progress that you think that we can make from her coming out and telling her account, It no longer becomes about these people. It becomes about your cause. And that's not justice. Yes, I understand that this is not a court of law, technically, that we are in, that this is a, quote, job interview um, in a lot of ways. But we are still talking about right and wrong, true and false. We are talking about a man's life. We are talking about justice. This is not just your standard job interview. Um, and the argument that I've gotten, so people read Rachel Mitchell's, uh, Rachel Mitchell's memo, and that very factually lays out why Dr. Ford isn't, she's either not telling the truth or she just doesn't have her story straight. And she also said in it that she is being influenced, um, probably by Democrats and, uh, Democrat lawyers. It says, yeah, she says she's likely affected by that. The argument that I'm hearing to her memo is that, well, she was hired by the GOP. And so nothing that she says can be believed. Uh, Okay, that's fine for you to be a little bit skeptical because she was hired by the Republican Party. Um, However, you still need to be able to factually refute the memo. If you can go through line by line and say, oh, here's where Mitchell is wrong. Oh, no, that's not a discrepancy. That's fine. We can have an intelligent conversation. But for you to just throw out facts because she was hired by Republicans and the Senate Judiciary Committee is wrong. But that's where we are. Facts do not matter when it comes to Kavanaugh and Ford. All that matters is your preconceived notions. All that matters is your own experience, your own memories, uh, your own account of survival, which I said is a worthy account to be heard and shouldn't have happened, but it does not make this any more true. But that's where we are. It It does not matter what's true and what's false. See, I think that the Democrats who know that he is innocent, uh, they see this, they kind of see him as a worthy sacrifice for the greater good. Because if all he would have to do, all he would have to do to stop this whole thing is to come out tomorrow and say, I love abortion. I love abortion. And I love Roe v. Wade. Wish I had written him myself then none of this would happen because that's what this is about. They are not concerned with what he did 35 years ago. No matter what they say, they're concerned with what he is going to do for the next 30 years. And they see this as okay. If we ruin one man's life for the good of the country, they're thinking, I'm sure, then that's fine. All they care about is his ideology that uh, he doesn't agree with them, that he uh, is going to be against women because uh, he is not like a cheerleader for Roe v. Wade. He hasn't even said he would overturn Roe v. Wade, but that's that's where we are. I guarantee you, everyone in their right-thinking mind knows that Kavanaugh is innocent. He doesn't have any discrepancies in his story, and yet here we are believing the women because we're that's what we're supposed to do. That's equality, I guess. Um, equality, I guess, to feminists is special treatment. We're supposed to believe women because they're women. Okay. Um, so Rachel Mitchell concludes in her memo. Uh, she says in the legal context, here is my bottom line. Uh, uh Uh, She says uh, he said she said case is incredibly difficult to prove, but this case is even weaker than that. Dr. Ford identified other witnesses to the event, and those witnesses either refuted her allegations or failed to corroborate them for the reasons discussed below. I do not think that a reasonable prosecutor would bring this case based on the evidence before the committee, nor do I believe that this evidence is sufficient to satisfy the preponderance of the evidence standard. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know what you say to that. I mean, this woman has spent 25 years uh, prosecuting sex offenders, and we're going to refute her just because we don't like what she has to say. Now, there are people trying to make a so called legitimate argument uh, that um, Kavanaugh lied, that he's lying about his yearbook, that the Devil's Triangle is, uh, I've heard it, well, I know that I have children that listen to this So I won't say what people say it is You can apparently look it up on Urban Dictionary Because that's our primary sourcing these days um, Devil's triangle is something sexual And 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 wrong Instead of a drinking game As he said, boof is not uh, As he said, flatulence Is actually something much more sinister than that uh, They're trying to get him on that They're also trying to get him on Saying that he didn't drink to the point Of not remembering in high school So they're trying to paint him as this belie- guy who can't remember anything that he did um and so if they can get him to the point of saying you know i don't remember some nights because i drank which everyone who has ever gotten drunk has suffered some kind of memory lapse by the way so he probably should have just admitted that when he was uh when he was in the committee but whatever He says that he never got to the point of not remembering something. But if they can get him to that point or if they can show that he actually did, which that'd be really hard to do, it's very subjective, then they can say, well, how can you how can you logically say or how can you confidently say that you didn't assault her if there are times that you blacked out and didn't remember? But of course, I would say, well, you should ask her the same thing. She obviously doesn't remember everything. Um, So anyway, I got two more things regarding the specific trial. So one, uh, Lindsey Graham's speech. I want you to hear at least some of that and just how amazing it was and um, how he defended Kavanaugh. I thought it was so good and really the only thing you need to hear. Like if I played baseball, this would be my walk-up song. It's like, it's that motivating.
3: Are you aware that at 923... On the night of July the 9th, the day you were nominated to the Supreme Court by President Trump, Senator Schumer said, 23 minutes after your nomination, I will oppose Judge Kavanaugh's nomination with everything I have. I have a bipartisan, and I hope a bipartisan majority will do the same. The stakes are simply too high for anything less. Well, if you weren't aware of it, you are now. Did you meet with Senator Dianne Feinstein on August 20th?
2: I did meet with Senator Feinstein. Did you
3: know that her staff had already recommended a lawyer to Dr. Ford? I did not know that. Did you know that her and her staff had this allegations for over 20 days? I did not know that at the time. If you wanted an FBI investigation, you could have come to us. What you want to do is destroy this guy's life, hold this seat open, and hope you win in 2020. You've said that, not me. You've got nothing to apologize for. When you see Sotomayor and Kagan, tell them that Lindsey said hello, oh, because I voted for them. I would never do to them what you've done to this guy. This is the most unethical sham since I've been in politics. And if you really wanted to know the truth, you sure as hell wouldn't have done what you've done to this guy. Are you a gang rapist? No. I cannot imagine what you and your family have gone through. Boy, y'all want power. God, I hope you never get it. I hope the American people can see through this sham, that you knew about it and you held it. You had no intention of protecting Dr. Ford. None. She's as much of a victim as you are. God, I hate to say it because these have been my friends. But let me tell you, when it comes to this, you're looking for a fair process, you came to the wrong town at the wrong time, my friend. Do you consider this a job interview?
2: It, it, the advice and consent role is like a job. You interview. consider that you've been through a job interview. I've been through a process of advice and consent under the Constitution, which would you has, say you've been through hell? I, I've been through uh, hell and then some. This is not a job
3: interview. Yeah. This is hell. This this. This is going to destroy the ability of good people to come forward because of this crap. Your high school yearbook. You have interacted with professional women all your life, not one accusation. You're supposed to be Bill Cosby when you're a junior and senior in high school. And all of a sudden you got over it. It's been my understanding. That if you drug women and rape them for two years in high school, you probably don't stop. Here's my understanding. If you lived a good life, people would recognize it. Like the American Bar Association has the gold standard. His integrity is absolutely unquestioned. He is the very circumspect in his personal conduct, harbors no biases or prejudices. He's entirely ethical, is a really decent person. He is warm, friendly, unassuming. He's the nicest person. The ABA. The one thing I can tell you, you should be proud of. Ashley, you should be proud of this. That you raised a daughter who had the good character to pray for Dr. Ford. To my Republican colleagues, if you vote no, you're legitimizing the most despicable thing I have seen in my time in politics. You want this seat? I hope you never get it. I hope you're on the Supreme Court. That's exactly where you should be. And I hope that the American people will see through this charade. And I wish you well, and I intend to vote for you, and I hope everybody who's fair-minded will.
0: Republicans loved that. It was such a motivating speech. Some people are saying, oh, he just did it for attention. I'm like, I really don't care if he did it for attention it was true. Just refute anything that he said. It's completely factual. He's right. As I've said, the only reason they are doing this is to not get to the truth. They do not care about Ford. They don't care about what happened 35 years ago. They don't care about victims. They just want to hold the seat open. They think that it's going, they're going to, he's going to overturn Roe v. Wade and all of that stuff. And so it's all ideological. So, um, it it looked good for Kavanaugh, I thought, towards the end of of the hearing. Um, and we heard the next day on Friday that, OK, Jeff Flake, who is usually a swing, a swing vote, um, you know, on a lot of things, he's I won't even call him moderate. I just think he's pretty cowardly. Um, he said that he was going to vote yes, which was great. So they were supposed to vote at 930 a.m. on Friday. And um, then all of a sudden it was 1.30 p.m. on Friday. And I thought, that's not good. Jeff Flake is going to flake. And it's true. He cannot not live up to his name. So that's what he did. He did vote to get it out of committee. So that was the vote. So they had to vote to get it out of the Judiciary Committee on Friday and Ford did agree. So that made it a majority. But he said the only way that I am going to vote officially. So when the vote actually goes to the floor and all of Senate has to vote is if there's an FBI investigation, which is exactly what Democrats want. Um, And the only reason they want it is, again, to delay has nothing to do with the truth. Of course, Kavanaugh has already passed six FBI background checks. There's not going to be anything that they find um, that is going to corroborate her account, I'm sure. So he said, you know, I want an FBI bet. I want an FBI investigation is the only way I'm going to vote. Okay, whatever. I don't like Jeff Flake. Most Republicans don't like Jeff Flake. Oh gosh. I wish I could say what I think he is, but it's not a very PG word. Um, so that That is what happened. Um, and so now there is a, a, a FBI investigation going on that's supposedly limited in time and scope, which is supposed to be one week. It's supposed to be done by Friday. I'm not really sure if that's actually going to happen, uh, considering FBI investigations just typically take a lot longer. And they, I think, are kind of bound to pursue the truth they're bound to pursue crimes when they find them um so it'll probably extend longer than that which again is exactly what democrats want they don't actually care what is found here um but of course people on the left are saying oh the fact that this is limited in time and scope just shows that republicans are trying to obstruct justice they don't really want to know the truth no, that's not true at all. It's because this is all a delay tactic. And we actually see that. Um, and the New York Times actually reported that it is not rare for the White House to limit an investigation in time and scope. Of course, that was buried in paragraph like 17 of the New York Times uh, thing because they want it to seem like Republicans are the ones that are grasping for power here when it's the Democrats. But Republicans are so weak that we haven't stopped this whole circus when we could have. We have the majority. We should have stopped it we never should have let this go on when Ford said that she wouldn't testify on the day that Grassley offered it should have been done it should have said okay sorry we gave you your chance we're holding the vote but no we had to acquiesce we had to give in because we had to be you know the nice people we didn't want to be seen as the people who silenced an accuser or whatever. Huh. So now here we are, and there are going to be, I'm sure, further allegations that come out. There's already been two more by Adebora Ramirez who, once again, um, these people go to the press and they don't go to the cops or they don't tell anyone. It doesn't make any sense. So she claims that Kavanaugh exposed himself to her at a party in high school. Um, again, her her story was very um it had a lot of holes in it. It was like Swiss cheese. And the New Yorker admitted that that they really didn't know um, if all of the things that she was saying is true. But what did they do? They ran with the story anyway. And I think I talked about that on my last podcast. So that's not that's not a credible allegation. Um, And then, of course, we have Michael Avenatti. Everyone knows Michael Avenatti is a super credible guy that everyone can believe and has no ulterior motives whatsoever. And probably a squeaky clean record. Um, He came out with a third allegation from a Miss Swetnick who said this is the most unbelievable thing of all. And yes, this was actually brought up in the hearing, which is absolutely absurd considering that there are, again, no substantiation and it's so ridiculous that um he was a part of a, a gang a gang rape ring that this lady, Sweatnik, went to multiple parties when she was in college and uh Kavanaugh was in high school, by the way. And she said that at least 10 parties there was this gang rape a thing going on where Kavanaugh and his friends would drug these girls and uh, wait in line and rape them. Okay, I, okay. So one gang rape party. Okay, I mean, I guess, I guess you go to one and you're like, wow, I'm not doing that again. Ten gang rape parties and you're just going, you're you're just call a and You're like, oh yeah, that gang rape party, not bad. Pretty, pretty fun if you ask me. And then she says that she was the victim, but she doesn't know if Kavanaugh was someone who actually raped her. Okay. Okay. I mean, if you want to be taken seriously with claims of sexual assault, don't go to Michael Avenatti. I mean, and don't make them so extreme. At least make them like a little more believable. I mean, really? I mean, the guy Kavanaugh already said that he was a virgin through high school and college. People are saying that he's lying. Um, if he wasn't lying, there would have been someone that would have come forward so far and said, uh, I had sex with him, consensual sex. They would have talked about that, but no one has because I'm sure that it's true. I'm not really sure why that's something that, you would lie about. Um, So anyway, we've got all these ridiculous allegations coming forward. It's just a narrative that they're trying to push that he's not to be believed that he is this belligerent drunk who raped and assaulted girls when I don't think anything could be further from the truth. I mean, his life, his record, his reputation that people have uh, verified over and over again from both sides of the aisle, male and female, just completely refute that narrative. But again, facts don't matter and there's this whole uh there's this whole thing too about um really the crime that he is committing is not that he might have assaulted this person. It's that he is a white male. I mean, that's what we keep seeing, that he's a privileged white male who's not getting his way, and that's the only reason he's upset. I mean, that pisses me off. That really makes me mad. I don't think that people realize how upset and how outraged and how distraught people like me have been over this and how motivated we are, more motivated than ever, more outraged than ever to go vote red in November, and you should, too, do not be apathetic. This is not the election to be apathetic over. The stakes are higher probably than they've ever been, higher than they were um Back in 2016, you have to vote. Do not be complacent. The only way that Republicans lose in November is if you do not vote and you are complacent. Vote. Talk to your family about voting. Talk to your friends about voting. Make sure that you are registered to vote. Uh, Send your absentee ballot in. Do whatever you have to do. It is your responsibility. It is your right. It is your privilege to be able to vote. And if Democrats win the Senate in in, uh, November and you did not vote, you have yourself to think. Vote. Vote in your local election. Research. I say vote right all the way. But do your research. Do your research. And and vote the Democrats out and make sure that we keep hold of Congress. I don't think that there's a big chance that we hold on to the House vote anyway. I do think there's a chance that we hold on to the Senate, which is really important. We've got to get the Supreme Court pick in. If you care about the Constitution, if you care about human rights, if you care about babies in the womb at all, if you care about liberty, if you care about uh, our constitutional rights, then you should vote Republican. Do not forget that. Okay, that's my spiel on all things Kavanaugh. Um, A couple more things. Um, One, I just wanted to... So I've gotten so much encouragement from you guys over the past couple days because I posted that video of me getting booed in Austin when I said that we should not be unconditionally believing women. um, Because obviously that's disingenuous and discriminatory. And I got booed in Austin when I was speaking at a conference on a panel and you guys have given me so much encouragement. And I just really appreciate that, that you feel like in some, even if it's just a few of you, even in some small way that I represent what you think, and I'm able to articulate what you think. And I appreciate that. Um, but as you guys know, I also get a significant amount of hate. So I, I want you to know that your encouragement means a lot to me. Um, I, uh, so I experienced something over the weekend that really made me, it just, it made me sad. So I've lost a few friends since the election. Um, I, and not like in a loud confrontational way, but just in kind of a quiet, we understand that we don't see eye to eye anymore. And we're just kind of going to not keep touch. Not my best friends. Like I have my best friends that I've had for years and that will never go away. And it really doesn't matter what we think politically, but people that I was friends with in college, um uh, that you know, we don't agree and they don't seem to be happy for me in my career. So we've kind of lost touch. Part of it's probably my fault, too, but nothing dramatic. Um, I had one friend a couple months ago. She really hated what I said about the Me Too movement, that women do have just in general responsibility for our actions. That's not to say we're to blame for sexual assault, but we do have responsibility. So she really didn't like that. I think she kind of wrote me off after that. But uh, this past weekend, I had a particular situation where someone who I went to college with was trolling me saying really mean things on my Instagram like really pointed things about you know 15 minutes of fame and like your your life or existence is so menial whatever just saying stupid stuff all these people all these trolls always think they're going to be the ones to like finally take me down and make me insecure and like make me change my career I'm like y'all been talking about my 15 minutes of fame for three years now so just keep talking I mean I've had trolls that are way meaner than this and way smarter than this and I just love how every troll thinks that they are like going to be the one to take me down but anyway so this person was leaving really mean comments she'll probably do it for the next couple of weeks i really don't block people i just let them vent i'm like if you have enough time on your hands to comment on my instagram you're a loser so in a mean way i mean <laughs> comment on my instagram in a mean way and just troll me um but one girl that i was really good friends with and that uh, she was actually in my wedding uh we were roommates in college. She commented on this very mean comment to me and said, you're my hero to this girl who uh, who was saying really mean stuff to me. And it, it really made me sad. I mean, this girl and I aren't best friends anymore, but we've always maintained a very friendly, a very respectful relationship, at least um, in in the past couple of years. I know she disagrees with me. She told me she's a Democrat. She told me she's pro-choice. I've, I've never argued with her before. Um, but this, like, it really hurt me. I felt like I was like in fifth grade a little bit, like, oh my gosh, why doesn't this person like me? Literally, like I called my mom and was like, this is really sad. But I realized, one, that's the age in which we live, um, unfortunately, is that partisan politics can break relationships and some people put partisan politics over relationships. Um, and two, people on the left in is specifically, really feel like conservatives are bad people, like they're not worthy of respect, like they're not worthy of a friendship, that they're not worthy of love. I've never treated uh, this person with anything but respect and kindness, her entire family. Um, and yet she is celebrating me being demeaned and talked down to and condescended. And that's where tribalism can get you. That's where identity politics can get you. Once you start believing that every single person that disagrees with you is a bad person, which is more true, I think, of the left than the right, um, then it anything goes, you're OK with hurting people's feelings. You're OK with um, demeaning someone's character, whatever it is. And so I just want you to know, one, that if this has happened to you, that I'm with you, that I empathize with you, that I have now been there. Um, but also I uh, that I really appreciate your encouragement and that it goes a long way because there are days when I get messages like that, or when I, where I get comments like that. I know I act like I really don't care, and most of the time I don't. But sometimes it really, sometimes it really gets to me. Um, and and what got to me was not the comments, but the person who agreed with the comments who I actually know. It's like I can deal with all the mean comments about. I can deal with the booze. I can deal with the mean comments about like whatever it is, my appearance or whatever it is by people that don't know me. But the comments by people that do know you, that just kind of hurts. But anyway, all I can do is pray for this person. She's obviously very troubled. She obviously is struggling with her own feeling of self worth and significance. So all I can pray is that she finds her identity in Christ and hope to forgive her, even though it really hurts my feelings. So that's just some encouragement to y'all and some gratitude to y'all. Okay, so. At the end of podcast now, I really want to highlight a cause that you guys care about because I hear a lot from you guys that you want to get involved in your community, but you don't know what to do. And you guys sent me so many emails about nonprofits that are awesome that you want me to highlight. I am going to do that. And today I picked um, one of them that you guys sent me. It's called Star Children's Bereavement Network. And I picked it because it just sounds, it sounds really, really um necessary and something that I haven't exactly heard about before. So uh, someone reached out to me. She said that she is the president for Star Children's Bereavement Network. It's a nonprofit, a small nonprofit in Marquette. Um, I didn't put the state. Dang it. Sorry. Um I don't know. I'll have to figure that out and then I'll tell you where it is. But hopefully you can get involved wherever you are. Um, so they're an organization but uh they've been working really hard to grow. And so what they do is that they uh serve children in their region and I'm sure elsewhere who have experienced the death of a person in their in their life. And so um they do a camp every August and about fifteen to twenty five kids attend to have lost someone in their family or in their life. They have a weekend long camp and so they do just like fun camp activities, and then they also have grief support. So I'm guessing counseling and things like that. And what we know about kids who have lost people in their lives who have experienced death, especially of parents, they are more likely to go to jail, to abuse drugs, to be depressed, to be suicidal, especially when it happens at such a young age. So these kids need community. They need a distraction. They need to know that they are not alone. They need to be loved and reminded, um, that they are, uh, that they, that, that people care about them. Um, so she, this person sent me, a letter from a girl named Lorelai who went to the camp and it really helped her. So I'll read at least some of it. She said, my name is Lorelai Caster. I would like to share my story with you and why I think Star Children's Bereavement Services and their program Camp Star is so important. I lost my mom to a homicide suicide very unexpectedly when I was 13 years old. I was angry and I didn't understand why God would do this to my family. I struggled with the grieving process. I kept bottling everything in. I felt as if no one was going to understand how I felt. I felt alone." When I arrived at Camp Star, I no longer felt alone, seeing all these other children going through the same pain that I was. There was someone I could finally relate to, and that was a huge turning point for me. Um, As the days passed on, I learned how to cope with the way I was feeling, whether it was painting my emotions, um, talking about them, or writing about them. Camp Star provided me tools to cope. Uh, I did not leave camp fixed and no longer broken. I left knowing that I wasn't alone and that it was okay to be feeling the way that I was. Camp Star changed my life. That's amazing. I just think this is a very worthy cause. So if that's something, oh, there it is, it's in Michigan. in Michigan. Um, So if you're in Michigan or I'm sure if you're anywhere, I'm sure you can donate or you can get involved. Uh, Their website is starcbs.org or you can go to facebook.com slash campstar. So thank you so much for sending me the nonprofits. Please continue to do that. I love uh, hearing what you guys are involved in. You guys are so compassionate, have huge hearts, and I've gotten so many emails about the things that you care about. So thank you for doing that. Uh, Leave a five star review if you would like on iTunes tunes. If you have any constructive criticism, feel free to DM me on Instagram, or you can email me, Ali at the conservative millennial Thanks for listening. And I will see you on Thursday.